Hello, friends, and welcome to the Robcast. <laughs> it's a Friday morning here in LA, and it seems like a good day for me, Kristen Bell. <laughs> it's the Bob and Kitty show. <laughs> to take over the Robcast. <laughs> I have a few questions for Rob, and it feels like a good day to ask those questions. Oh, seriously, lady. <laughs> but before we get going, Rob, do you have some events coming up? <laughs> you're, you're just totally mocking me. <laughs> you take over and mock me. No, I'm not and mocking. And I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I'm actually the, Bi the Bible Belt Tour. No, I'm only Deep mocking South. because, of course, I know what events you have coming up, but I have to ask it in a way like, Rob, <laughs> what do you have coming up? I know you just got back from three weeks of... Yeah, bookstores bookstores with what is the Bible, <laughs> which we will return to that topic later. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. Is this too much for you? Uh, it's, I love it. I absolutely love it. We're uh, on the, at the kitchen table. Yes. And we were inspired. Well, I should say I had the idea before Joel. Oh. But... Rob doesn't remember me saying, you know, someday I should interview on the Robcast. Um, and then he told me, hey, tomorrow Rabbi Joel's coming and he's going to interview me on the Robcast. And I said, wait, I had that idea a long time ago. I think that we could say that about lots of ideas. Yeah. So it's a if good idea. It's a, good, it's a great idea. Yeah. Think of how many things started with you. Like how, wow. many, how many great ideas you've had over the years that eventually got made, but they started with you being like, hey, what about this? Yeah. So this is, I'm just totally owning and yes, yes. Ideas are fun. Yes. So what do you, so what do you got? Oh, aren't you going to talk about your events? Oh, yeah. Well, the Bible Belt Tour. Oh, that's Alabama, it. Georgia, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, the Deep South in the middle of July. And you're yes. going to join me for a couple cities. Yeah. I think I'm going to fly in for Atlanta. <laughs> excellent excellent i'll have some kids with me you'll yes. show up it'll be great yes all right well we want to talk about what is the bible let's do that yeah so um i was reading it you did <laughs> well i read most of it <laughs> you did um i did you know this is interesting because i remember the first book you read a first draft of velvet elvis this would have been 2004 and then you were like, oh man, this needs some work. And I remember you like took it apart and helped like, re I remember you completely, you were like, no, 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 this whole first section needs to be two chapters. And then Sex God, book number two, which would have been 2006. Remember that office on Romance Street? Yes, and with I the had, big whiteboard. And I had white, found that whiteboard wallpaper mm -hmm. and had done one whole wall and I remember you took Sex God apart. Right. Like, I remember we spent three whole days in that office. Right. All day, every day. Because you, you like literally took it apart until it was like little pieces on the floor. Like there was a wheel over here and a steering wheel over here. I'll never forget. You completely took it apart and then began and you were like, no, no. What are you trying to say here? And I remember you pushed me. It, like the, it was so... Um, revelatory to me how hard you push me 
to make that book clearer, more direct, like to just get rid of stuff. So that's my memories of the earliest books. And now this book you had nothing to do with and just happened to pick it up a couple of days ago. That's I know. Really it's awesome. very interesting, the evolution of... Because you, like, you got your own thing you're doing. Of our, our marriage. Yeah. I mean, we've been right. married for 23 years now. But also the evolution of you writing books. This is your 10th book. And in the beginning, I was really involved. Um, right. And I, I, I think I'm better as an editor than a writer. Um, <laughs> I just, I just see how things should be organized yes. and, um, I and so like all of your content was there, but I just had a vision for how it could be organized so that it, well, what's interesting about you, flow. I should say this to the Robcast people because so many books you'll read and you'll be like, man, they should have had a better editor. They should have, they should have cut some of this out, but it's how you are in person. You just have no... Like, you have no tolerance for bullshit. It's like your being is like you're so grounded and centered that you just... I think you might have just <laughs> said your book. <laughs> Never mind. No, no, no. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but you... you ha But it's interesting when I think about you editing, and then I think about your presence in my life and how you are. That's like your gift to the world. As you come into situations, even when people are here at the house and they're sharing something and you're like, hold on. And then you like go right to the heart of the matter. Yeah, I think can't... sometimes that can be the gift of an introvert. Like they don't do well with small talk or fluff. Right. I think often an introvert wants to get to the heart of the matter. Right. Like what is, what is the meaningful thing here? You've talked about the curse of authenticity. Yes, I also have that. Like you can't, you, this woman, ladies and gentlemen is incapable of pretending. She's incapable of playing games. She's incapable of acting. I mean that as the highest possible respect and compliment. You're, you're just, does it, lots of stuff to you just feels like, oh, come on, it's not real. It's not genuine. It's not, it's clutter. It's, it's in the way. That's how I would observe you interacting with the world often. Yeah, well, I just feel like there's so much goodness and, and interesting things in the world that I, I really don't want to waste my time on <laughs> meaningless chatter or, or I mean right. chatter in the sense of just the right. stuff that comes at us every day. I remember when I first started making things in the early 20s and you were always like, content, content. What's the idea? What's the original new, what's the substantive tradition you're drawing on what's the data what's the quote what's the significant thing you're doing and, and everything else is just and actually and this is the perfect place to jump in to my first question for you about the book because um, I'm going to go back to our early days mm -hmm. one of the stories in this book I was reading it or one of the chapters <clears throat> excuse me I have a ginger shot here. Do you want to part of my oh ginger my shot? Oh, my goodness. Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, and it brought me back to when you were a youth pastor, when we were, before we were married. Um, one of the oh stories in this book, I remember you coming up with to share with high school students. And your. this is what I remember. You can correct me. 
I remember that you really wanted to grab their attention because it was a setting where there were all these cool Southern California kids who kind of had this attitude like less. I've yeah. seen it all. And, um, and you wanted to make the Bible interesting. So you chose this particular story. But the reason why I think it's an interesting jump off point from what you were talking about is I think that um, you're such a great performer and communicator. I think you easily could have relied on those abilities when you were in front of people. Just, I'm going to entertain people. I'm going to, mm. um, just going to be a great performer. And you could have missed the content part. But instead, you combined the two of them. So um, the story that I'm referring to is King Ehud. <laughs> <laughs> and I have such a vivid memory of you uh, both creating this talk and giving it because it was so sensational. Like, um, oh, the, the part. Oh, interesting. This is like 1993. I mean, this, 94. Is, this story has some weird stuff in it. It's a very weird story. I mean, there's the left handed part, there's the sword, there's the fact that the guy was so fat that the, the fat, fat closed over, the, over sword, the sword, and they chose to include that detail. What chapter is that? And what is that? Uh, chapter eight. <laughs> so. Tell me about that story, what you remember when you were creating it, creating the talk. Right. Yeah, this was when I was working with those high school students. And it was like, this is the last group of people who would care about a Bible story. So it was like how, that's interesting. I was like driven then you're to, to like do something with the Bible. That's yes, so interesting. that's, that's what I noticed Ahu. is like the, the seed yeah, right. was there. Right, right. Like 24 years ago, That's like you had a desire to make the Bible come alive or make it relevant, I applicable. Do, I remember you would talk about interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it'd be easy to be a youth group speaker, tell funny stories and then like some truth and, you know, God loves you or something, but that you were always, no, it's about the study and the reflection and the turning it over and the new insights and the depth. Uh, yeah, so the story, Ehud is this, he's one of the deliverers. There's this, these cycles of violence in the book of Judges, which I think is such an interesting reading of the book of Judges. It's like there's peace and there's this horrific violence and slaughter, and then there's peace and there's horrific. It's as if the writer is making a point and so you can take any one of the stories of the book of Judges and say, see how violent the Old Testament is? But if you read it in the flow of the story, you realize, oh, the editor is making a point about violence. Namely, look at how futile and pointless this violence is. It's a classic case where people take things from the Bible, extract them, and make them say things doesn't say. But Ehud is this deliverer. He's left-handed. And everybody in that day was right-handed, and I'm left-handed. So obviously in my early 20s, you grab hold of these little details that are like, oh, wait, he's left-handed. That must mean something. It's like reading the Bible 101. You know what I mean? Like, first off, the weird details are, are there for a reason. Right, but it's interesting that you had eyes to see that. As a, how yeah. old were you, 24? I probably, I found the weird stuff interesting 
early on. I do remember that. All the weird stuff to me was to be enjoyed and celebrated. But you came and saw my band well, in college, see, so you, you knew I was enjoying weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right, but at that point in my life, I had grown up in a conservative Bible church where it was all about knowing the Bible, memorizing the Bible. And so like I, I felt like I knew the Bible pretty well because it had been so ingrained in me. Um, but I'm more like, I guess I, I, I just didn't see the Bible. I just didn't see the Bible as being quirky. Oh, right. Cause you, it, you were taught basically owner's manual. Right. It's like, this is how it works. Straightforward. But I mean, there was an element of very pragmatic. This is also how God speaks to you. Like you memorize verses so that you can pull them out in the moment. Oh, right, right, right. And it will help you. Which is fascinating about that thing. This is how the divine speaks to you. If you, if that person says that is referring to the Bible, it's the weirdest collection of stories yes. ever. Talking donkeys and sun standing still. Right. Like if this is how the divine talks to you, that is one weird God. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you actually think about it that way. Yes. And at that point in... I guess it was a combination of your personality and oh, yeah. your where you were developmentally. You you could see the quirky stuff. Yeah, you know, and then and then the idea, which I think your point also in the story is, Ehud goes in to see Ehud goes in to see the king who is this evil oppressor in the story, and. He gets in, but he hides, because he's left-handed, he would have hid the sword inside his right thigh, and everybody else, would, as right-handed, would have hid their sword within their left thigh, inside their left thigh. So he, he, they don't think to search him, because they don't think, I wonder if this guy's left-handed. They search the inside of the left thigh, which would have been basic. So it's his weirdness and the fact that he doesn't fit in that is his strength, which is how he pulls off, and then he stabs the king, and the fat closed in over the sword. I'll, I'll, I've always loved that line. Um, and then he liberates his people. But even at that age, I think, honestly, there was always, I always was, there was always a better student, there was always a better athlete, there was always a better honor roll, there was always, like, I was just, all my life felt like there were always these people who were better. It was just always finishing seventh, always getting the B plus. And when I stumbled in to the sermon and like this story, which was own your weirdness, you're, you're never going to be that. You know what I mean? So just claim all the things about you that I think the story resonated me at like a, like at the level of psyche. Like, even the fact that I was literally left-handed, but you've never fit in, so just own your not fitting in this. But it also seems in telling the story or making a sermon out of this story, you had a lightness about how you approach the Bible. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It wasn't like, kids, you stop. (laughs) Right. Stop smoking out back beforehand, or what, it was like, like that heavy sort of. 
I'm here to tell you what God says. We were dan Yeah, you're right. I was dancing with it even then. There was even an element of like, come on, do you hear the music? Right, which I think carried you a long, long ways with oh, wow. your journey of teaching this yeah. book. Yeah, and in some ways, oh, that's really interesting. In some ways, I was coming in the side door from the very beginning. Because we've all heard people coming in the front door. I'm right. This is the truth. Let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. It's like a court. This basically, is, this is how God is. Basically, the heart exists in a courtroom. This is what God likes. This and, is what God doesn't like. <laughs> and there's and basically whoever the authority figure is is basically the prosecuting attorney. And you're like, well, I guess I really am a horrible scum bag who deserves whatever. And maybe I, like it's just the whole thing sort of has you on your heels. And I think a lot of people have that image, but then you come in the side door with the dude's left-handed. And the fat closed in over the sword. It's like everybody just relaxes. It's like you relax into the weirdness, and now, now you might actually be open to hear something that might actually do something for you. Right. You remember that. That's a, that is, that well, is amazing. Which does lead me to my next question. <laughs> You're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well... My next one is um, in the beginning of your book, you talk about something that happened to you with a guy named Richard. And you, um, you say in the book, let's see. Oh, no, now I can't find it. Um, oh, here it is. It was like the Bible went from black and white oh, to color, yeah, yeah. from two dimensions to three or nine. And that, did the same thing happen to you then? I feel like that happened together, didn't it? Yes, but, but the question that I want to ask you is, you had this kind of disruptive moment where Richard came to you and said, yeah. you know the way you're teaching the Bible? <laughs> You've Do you understand it. there's a whole other dimension oh. to this because Jewish, <laughs> right. Jesus is Jewish? Right. And that this book was written in a Jewish context. So if you understand more about the Jewish context, yeah. all kinds of stories and things will make sense that yeah. you've actually been kind of teaching it like, I don't know, with one hand tied behind your back. Oh, um, well said. So I know for me, when that happened to me, it kind of was like the, like you mentioned that here, it can be upsetting, like when this happens and people came to you upset, like, how did I never know this? Um, and you mentioned, uh, after this, you started reading the Bible in a different way and there was no going back. And it sounds, so it see, sounds like unsee. this was a very like positive growth experience, but it was also a disruption uh, I know for me, it felt like the rug got pulled out from underneath me, and I then started questioning everything I was taught, because I wasn't taught the Bible in context. And so then I started wondering, I started pulling things apart and wondering, okay, if this isn't actually how it was meant to be read, then this one isn't either, and probably this one has a different meaning. Like, it just 
That wall you talk about in Velvet, Velvet Elvis, the yeah. brick wall. Yeah. I pulled that brick out and the whole wall crumbled. But I'm just wondering, did that happen for you also? Or because you were already coming in the side door with the Bible? I mean, had you oh. never, maybe you never built a wall because the way you describe it in here, it sounds like that experience of getting introduced to the Bible in a Jewish context wasn't, it was disruptive, but it just caused growth instead of doubt. Oh, right, right, right. Well, whatever the disruption was, there was, you're right, there was so much positive. It was so interesting that the, wait, why wasn't I ever told any of this? Yeah, that was probably there, but that was definitely there. Uh, interesting that you say this because even the past three weeks doing bookstore tour, I I pick up in crowds that lament. It's like they're energetically. Um, in, there's like a pain body in crowds mm. of, of people who are now waking up to I was handed a thing that hasn't it's like a grieving like one friend said who came to an event recently there's an element of grieving that's happening at your events uh, in among the joy and the let's do this right. it's a new world there's a there there is this there are you have there is a space for those who are like man I was handed a thing that was so that said it was the it said it was the tradition and it was so off Right, because um, I think a lot of people get into religion um, because they're looking for security, for certainty, that um, for yeah. for truth, for I mean, ultimately, I hopefully people get into religion because they're looking for the divine, and religions say we have the path, like come with us, we we can yeah. show you where the divine is, and so. You believe it, and so you adopt all of these, I guess, constructs, all these beliefs. And then, yeah, it's very scary when they start to get pulled apart, because then you wonder, well, what can I trust? What is certain? Right, right, right. And so it it says, it it presents itself as like theology, thinking, um, it presents itself but it's actually a deep personal issue of trust. You know what I mean? It presents itself like, how do we intellectually work through these things? But it's actually, this person told me these things. Youth pastor, parent, aunt, right. uncle, whoever, teacher. And now I'm realizing that I, these, some of these things they told me, it isn't actually how the world is. And it doesn't actually bring life. So if that isn't true, what else did they tell me? Right. Isn't true. And the discernment that that the disruption raises this question, can you move to a place of discernment where you can say they were doing their best? These things, yeah, you're right. You're leaving behind. These things, be grateful for. That just takes a whole level of discernment that at first, sometimes there's just so much anger and almost like feels like betrayal. It's hard to move to the next stage. Yes, and I also think it's very easy to get your identity from 
yes. your group and your beliefs. And so when you start pulling those apart, you also start questioning who you are and how you fit in the world and what is truth. And yeah. you just start wrestling with a lot of very big right, questions. Because right. your, your tribe that you just referenced, I mean, you picked up, which is the real art of it. I mean, you picked up moral compass, discipline, postpone gratification, impulse, like uh, hard work, work ethic. Like that tradition also handed you a number of very, very positive things. Definitely. That are absolutely necessary for human development. Our friend Richie Rohr talks about the the container. Right. Um, Whatever that container looks like, you happen to be given a container that had some real good in it, just had a number of things that you were like, nah. Right. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm leaving that behind. Right, and, and going back to how you reacted here, I think it, I mean, now looking back with hindsight, I, I think it would have been so much more helpful to me going through it if I could have held it more lightly and uh. if I could have seen it as, this isn't about my world falling apart. This is about the possibility of new worlds, of new ways of thinking, of being on a journey. I think it, at that time, if I could have looked forward with anticipation and hope and trusting in the, in the goodness that had already been present in my life, Ah. I think that it would have been a lot easier transition. I I think I looked backwards for too long. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. Um, angry at the stuff I was given that was really unhelpful to me. Um, frustrated, like ask, like I asked questions a lot about. What, what's wrong with me that I can't fit in there anymore? Um, yeah, what's wrong with me? Yeah, that was a common oh, oh, so, question. So, like, why can't I just go through the motions? So if somebody had said to you, ah, Kristen Bell, the end of one world is always the beginning of another. And you're so focused on the end of that world. Right. That you don't see that all the end of one world does is lead into the beginning, the birth of another or something. Right. And I guess that's what I see in your words here. Interest. That's a really, really good line. Like this was all about like what's next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what's interesting, I mean, uh, this is such an obvious non sequitur, but even in the Bible, it's endlessly about things falling apart. I mean, it's a story of people clinging to a particular frame or system, whether it's the king, whether it's the prophet, what, it clinging to something, temple, um, system, uh, clinging to something for that very thing, security, direction, even the whole, the whole emergence of the kings as you get uh, into the Bible. The emergence of the kings is we want a king like the neighbors. The kings all have neighbors. We want a king. Give us a king. Um, and it's the, if we could just have a king like the neighbors, and then the kings are like horrible. They're bloody. Um, 
and it's it is the story collectively of people clinging to something that thing failing them they end up in exile which is the entire thing falls apart into a thousand pieces then they begin imagining a new thing um you even think about the hebrew prophets isaiah is essentially in exile realizing if we get a new exodus and we're brought out of our enslavement we're brought out and liberated from our exile and brought home, we could still make a huge mess of it again. So we actually need a bigger, wider exodus, which is where you have these ideas of a coming liberator. Um, that, and those are the passages people use to talk about Jesus. But nevertheless, the idea is they cling to something and it falls apart, which is what breaks them. And in their brokenness, they become open to a new and bigger and wider tomorrow. And the new tomorrow is always bigger, wider, deeper, more expansive, more imagination, more freedom, more liberation, more joy. Right. And that's what you have to trust. Yes. When you're going through it. That's what you have to keep focusing on because, I mean, there are stories in the Bible too about don't look back. Think of Lot's wife, like don't look back. You'll cling to that old thing. And miss the new thing. Right, which is what happened. I think, okay, Richard started a kind of a ripple effect Mm -hmm. that I think then with my, what we mentioned, curse of authenticity, (laughs) when uh, those, those like middle years of Mars Hill, it put me in a very difficult position because my wall came crumbling down um, or the rug got pulled out from under me. I started questioning everything except I always, I always had the, the connection to the divine like that for me and all of it remained constant. Like I still believed in. You were a mystic from day one. Yes. I just questioned the package. Yeah, because the institution and all that stuff for you was like, oh, that's fine, I guess. It's fine for some. That was never your jam. (laughs) No, and it really caused me a lot of distress because I felt like I should be able to do this. I should be able to go to church and, like, get something out of it. I should be able to read the Bible and get something out of it. I should be able to do all these things, and I I was just... Right, you were like, what? It was causing me such misery... You're and like I, good daughter, lawyer, loyal soldier. Right. Was, yeah. I remember when you stopped going to church. Yeah. That well, was a, that was a. I remember that being like that woman is so bad. The badass. thing that saved me in that time was <laughs> we moved near this Dominican center, and I walked down there to see what is what is this place? It's beautiful, um, and they had all these brochures, and one of them was for a spiritual director, and I thought, I think I need this. Yeah. The so, n- and I remember the the two of the things that we talked about that were like really essential for me. One was I had to admit to somebody that I couldn't read the Bible. Mm-hmm. That it. I remember that it had caused me. There were just so many ways that it was taught to me in a way that was destructive to me, and mostly about what it meant to be a woman, that I was not as competent able, important as 
as men. I mean, I was taught that only men could have leadership positions in the church. Um, women could not teach men. They could teach children, but not men. Like, and they would say things like, well, we still believe that men and women are equal. They just have different roles. Dogs. <laughs> Oh. And that never made sense to me. And, I, and this is the prime example. I remember, oh, the pastor at our wedding gave a sermon about um, how the woman is the weaker vessel. And I remember him saying in our wedding sermon. Quoting some Bible verse. Yeah, it's like Second Peter or something. And You don't care. <laughs> You're not like, you I don't, don't care. care. I don't know what Peter meant by that but I'm sure it wasn't what the pastor <laughs> interpreted. He's, I remember him saying to you, now, Rob, you need to remember that Kristen is not only weaker physically, but she's weaker emotionally Did he and say, spiritually. Literally, this is like a... And so it's your responsibility <laughs> I'm to like, take I must care have of her. This was so shocking. I'd like clearly blocked this out. Right. Well, you were thinking about other things. <laughs> I mean, we were getting married. <laughs> But when I started to recognize, oh, I mean, it. that's one example, but I, I mean, the biggest example is what God is like. I mean, I was raised so you, to so believe that God is ready to punish people who don't do the, the step A, B, and C and give their life to him and follow him. A him, by the way. Exactly. Crazy. Um, so you go, so you start hanging out with the nuns. And you discover there's Well, a my spiritual director wasn't a nun, but yeah, there were nuns I in mean, the I mean, the Dominican Center, yeah. for those who are, is essentially uh, one of the orders of the Catholic Church. And the orders are sort of how the Catholic Church would, like, release valves for the creators, the innovators. Well, the, the Dominicans the are the teachers. And the, teach, the teachers. So you're in this Dominican setting working with the spiritual director, and you start digging up. There's a layer behind the layer behind well, the layer. Well, I had to tell somebody... Yeah, I had to like tell confession. somebody, is it okay? Yeah. Like, I need to put the Bible down, and I don't know when I'm going to be able to pick it back up, but I need to be able to pick it back up with new eyes. And yeah. so one of the biggest things I got from this is every time I said what was true for me, it was met with grace. Yes, oh, of course. Right. Of course this is fine. I, it's like I needed somebody to give me the permission to, to like listen to my inner voice, to just know what I knew was the next right step for me. Like my desire for connection with divine was no different, but I had to say, I believe there are other ways to connect than the Bible. And I can't do the Bible right now. And I don't know if I ever will be able to, but this is the first step for me in being really honest. And it actually opened up all sorts of new ways of connection. And so before I forget, the other thing that I kept encountering in this spiritual direction is how often I said should. So the whole loyal soldier, so much of my language is about I should do this, I should do that. If I were a better person, I would be doing this. How come I can't handle this? What's wrong with me? And she, just every time she would point it out to me, you're using should again. Why are you using should? You don't need to use should. There's no shoulds. So it was like my very beginning lessons in 
living from my true self, like living from my heart, trusting that, um, like I have a, I have an internal guidance system and it leads me in the right direction. So anyway, this interview actually isn't about me. You are such a fantastic human being. Can I just <laughs> say that? I mean, I tell you that all the time. That, oh my word. That, I can hear people, I can already, by what you just said, being helped. If you were to, oh, there's so many things you just said, like you always do, that I'm like, oh, wait, 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 that was good. Oh, that was brilliant. Oh, that was amazing. Tell me the should thing. Can you think of a mantra for somebody who, I'm just thinking of the person who was like, oh, man, that's me. My life is all shoulds. Because um, there are, sometimes there is, there is a place in life for duty, obligation. That person is bleeding. You should get them a bandage. You know what I mean? Like there is some should, but there also, there's like unhealthy should, which is. Yeah, but I, I even question like if you're not doing something because you want to do it, does it really mean anything? I'm just. Yeah, right. I don't know. I'm asking Well, especially if. You're the answer, man. You tell me. Oh, come on. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, there are, I mean, as a, as a human being with a, with a sense of moral compass and ethics, yes. yeah, but, oh. but you're, but you're talking about, we're not talking about that. We are talking about what I, happens yeah, I would when like, your life becomes... I would like to talk about this in context of right. connection right. and expansion. Right, right, so right, right, right. Exactly. This has to do with the spiritual life. But should becomes its own sort of God people it's just an unreflective well, I, guess I, sh I should do this because well I think should is a connection killer do you know what I mean anytime you do something because you should are you are you living from your true self are you are you able to be open and connected with the people around you with the divine like yeah because should can cut you off from heart and intention because it's you're just playing a role often yeah. I mean, you asked about a mantra. The thing I'm thinking about currently is instead of should I do this or should I do that, I ask what would be the most empowering thing for me? Like what would be the most life-giving thing for me? And that just raises a completely different set of questions. That takes you in a... And often uh, yeah. the answer is not only what's best for me, but what's best for the people around me, what's right. best for the world. Right, right, right. Because we're all infused with the divine. Yeah. And so if I'm tuned in to my truest self, which is ground of my being, um, what the decision I make will be best for everybody, for everything. Mm-hmm. So, raise your glasses, people. So good. Raise your ginger shot. Um, I have one. Can I make one more observation? Yes. Or recollection. I remember when you started doing that work with that spiritual director. I remember. I remember being so happy for you, and for us. I remember just thinking, "This, this is awesome." You would come home and be like, "Oh my word." this is what I uncovered or this is what came up or this is what I'm realizing. And I remember being so happy for you. 
And I remember at that moment, because there was a large church that I was a part of, leading, Mm -hmm. giving sermons. I think you were leading it. I remember... I remember distinctly because you because you were like um, I'm not really gonna go. How'd your sermon go? Because <laughs> you you were like not going, and I remember thinking, oh, this is what it means to to pursue life and to be on your path, and it doesn't fit whatever the norms are that somebody somewhere decided. Um. I remember thinking, oh, this is where our path is taking us. And you were more alive than ever at the exact moment you weren't participating in all the things that it was assumed that you would be participating in. It was act, And I just remember thinking, oh, your participation in the system, whatever the system is, because everybody has a system around them, sometimes the moment at which it appears to the system that you have most checked out, you actually might be checked in like never before. Right, which goes back to a few minutes ago when we were talking about looking forward or looking back. At that moment, I wasn't not going to church because I was angry at the church. I was looking forward. Yeah. I was like... Pulled into something. Yes. There was a, there was a kind of journey that I was on. Absolutely. Absolutely, and it was pulling you forward, which is the only way it ever works in any interesting fashion is when you are, it's like a magnetic pull into something. Yes. That is so interesting that you brought up that period. I remember that so well. Okay. Oh, you're looking like you have more uh, yeah, well, things th- to say. This fits with what we're talking about. <laughs> um, turning the gem, chapter 10. Mm-hmm. Chapter 10. This actually is a way that I can engage with the Bible. I love this. I've, I remember when I first heard it, and I was like, yes. Because oh, yeah. it's, it's more of a mystical way of Absolutely. looking at the Bible. Absolutely. The Bible's like a gem, and you turn it, and the light refracts differently each time you turn it. And so you read that story, and then you read that story again, and then somebody else reads that story, and somebody with a completely different perspective makes this comment. And then somebody pushes back and said, I always saw it this way. And you just keep turning the gem. Which goes back to your lightness. You just hold it differently. Which strikes me, because um, I'm just fresh off being in all these bookstores, talking and doing Q&As. How many people, spirituality, the spirituality they were handed was heavy. It was like, these questions are like, if I don't solve this question, something horrible is going to happen. You know what I mean? Everything is loaded down with weight that it can't bear. And that turning the gem, even if you think about a gem in your hand and turning it, there's a looseness even and a limber flexible to your hand because you have to just keep turning as opposed to a heavy-handed. You can't turn a gem in a heavy-handed way to, I think, mix metaphors, but it's a similar metaphor. Well, I was also thinking when you look at a gem, you're looking for the beauty in it. Mm -hmm. So... It's a way of looking at the scriptures that it's like, sh- it's like, show me the beauty. Show me, which goes back to Ehud. And you were like, show me the quirkiness. <laughs> <laughs> and 
There's right. so many ways right. to read the Bible, and this one makes sense to me. Oh, interesting. And and when you think about turning the gem also, because people are like, well, I need this passage. What does... I, I'm surprised. It's To this day, I'm, I'm taken with how many people will ask the question, and I, I feel like cellular, molecular, whatever it is, subcortically, I feel the anxiety coming off their body. Um, I feel the like, the tension as if this one question or they need to know what this one passage means. Um, right. You, you, right. Like what if, what if we could read it? Like, I mean, this would be my preference. What if we could read it as like, okay, I'm, I'm opening this up. I'm looking for the beauty. If I see something where I don't see the beauty, I see confusion. It makes me feel like, let it go. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just read the, just read the parts that like jump out at you. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because the book of Judges is so violent. Jesus never mentions it. It's a classic, like, this is why you shouldn't read the Bible, this one book. It's so horrific. So I've, I've never had a better idea about Judges other than there's some weird stories in there, and that is just every, every person who's like, why would I ever read a book like that? You're like, that's a good point. Just Judges alone. Why would you read an Old Testament that has that book in it? And it was just the past couple of years when I was like, wait, there's a pattern. And the pattern is put there by an editor. And it was just turning the gem of some editor put those stories together. Oh, wait. If I read it asking why is it arranged this way, I come up with a very clever editor who is saying something by the arrangement. You know what I mean? It was just yes. turning the gem on... Um, fly at a higher altitude. Read the whole book through. Oh, the editor is saying, look at how pointless all this violence is. It doesn't actually make anything better. Well, and as Which I'm a classic say, example as I'm saying this, unfortunately, I still hear like the conservative voice in my head. Do you really? Oh, which would say, you can't just pick the parts you like. <laughs> you have to read all of it. You have to, you can't just throw out the hard parts. But these are the same people who, they only read certain parts. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it also goes back to how you read them because... Well, right. Yeah, that passage is primitive and barbaric. Yeah, I did read it. And I said, that passage is primitive and barbaric. Thank God we've evolved. Right. I didn't well, throw it out. I called it what it is. <laughs> I mean... It, <laughs> That's interesting. See, I don't see you as somebody who has that voice. No, I don't no, observe no. that voice. Yeah. No, not, it's not in me. I oh, hear right, it from right, the outside. right, right, right. Because um, that's what I grew up with. Yeah, yeah. Is that... Um, because my observation is you are so I, I guess I grew up with the idea that um, you're a danger to yourself. Like, you cannot yeah. trust yourself because you will make selfish, destructive choices right. that will take you off the path, that will hurt other people. Uh, you need to be held accountable. Um and that's like way, way back there, but every once in a while, it like I oh, hear those other chirps. voices like yeah. bringing criticism of where I am now. Oh, right, right. And what's interesting about that old voice that begins with what a wretch you are is those people would say, well, we're just being biblical, but 
the Bible begins with blessing. It begins with human beings bearing the divine image. It begins with the essential, indestructible goodness of human beings. That's chapters one, chapter two. You don't have humans making a mess of things until chapter three. Right. So it's fascinating the people that would say, well, I'm just telling you it biblically, generally say that to, to explain why they start with how depraved and awful you are, when actually their own text, it, that's not the starting place. The starting place is goodness, favor, blessing, harmony with the divine. Right. And I think sometimes <laughs> there can also be a little pride in there, like the Christian path is hard. and We do the hard thing. Yeah, right, right, um, right. It's about, I'm not it's having about any denying fun. yourself. She's not having any fun. <laughs> He's not having any fun. We're all kind of miserable. But if, yeah, that view, you see this in lots of different traditions, actually lots of different areas. It's not working. So let's just, we have to somehow explain why we don't have the joy that we were promised. Oh, interesting. Oh, oh obviously, which is where you can see people develop all sorts of complicated views of the afterlife. Is but I guess that's what I mean about everybody's doing the gem thing. Oh, because for sure. you focus on the parts of the Bible you want to focus on. Like they focus on the parts about suffering when there's a whole lot of stuff about joy. Like yeah. rejoice always. <laughs> <laughs> you just quoted a Bible verse. I know. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Oh, you know some of that. Apostle Paul. That's some of your, that's, that's in you. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, if you really think about that one, really rejoice always like live a, by joy. Your compass should be joy. And this is a, this is somebody who's beaten, shipwrecked, right. multiple assassination attempts, right. starving. Live by joy that's not circumstantial. Yeah. And I think that where he says that, that letter, Philippians, I believe it is, he's in prison. So he even re re references his chains, and he's joy. Yeah. But and, and it's also, that's not a cheap joy. It's not a superficial joy. That's not like, hey, just be happy. It's the joy that goes all the way into the heart of the difficulty and suffering and pain, and it keeps going. It's, this is not just like a, the thing that makes the shiny happy people that makes us all insane which is pretending like everything's fine when it's not. Exactly. This is going all the way into the heart of the worst the world can give you. Tragedy, trauma, suffering, heartbreak, betrayal, loneliness, abandonment. And then at the end of that saying, wow, there is a joy that is indestructible. Which leads me into my next part. Because oh my word, I actually wonder if Paul had some mystical... Um, otherworldly experience Absolutely. that changed his perspective on what these present times actually mean. Absolutely. So, so oh. hold that thought and we'll get, <laughs> I want you to still talk about that, but I want to lead into chapter 22, the sheet factor. Uh, the sheet. The yes. Story. Somebody um, asked if that was a reference to the TV show Wire and it is. Um, for super TV fans out there. The so this is about factor. Peter, and I would love to talk about his... Um, yes. I don't know. Right. What, would you, what would you call it? A trance? Well, the Bible calls it a trance. The Greek word is ecstasis, where we get ec ecstasy. So you can make your own drug joke there. Um, 
And it's so interesting how many places in the Bible you're told about somebody who has a trance, they fall asleep, they have a dream, they're in some altered state of consciousness. And that is when they hear what they need to hear, see what they need to see, they have their pure non-dual emptiness form awareness experience of the unmediated divine permeating all of matter and reality. You mean like you can use all of, you can use Eastern language, you can use contemplative language, you can use um, LSD, mushrooms, psychedelic language, ayahuasca language. You can use any language that you want for those experiences where you realize that, that essentially all duality and division is an illusion, that everything is actually one seamless unity underneath it all. Right. When you come back to this life, yes. you see it in a completely different way. And right. I'm convinced that Paul, with that immense suffering that he was going through and then saying things like rejoice oh. always, I, I, I would guess that he had some experience. For sure. Where he understood, like he says, like these light and momentary afflictions. Right. He right, had right, right, some right. experience where he saw right. the bigger picture, which helped him understand how it all fits together. Yes. And that suffering is all part of the process. And it's, what did he say? Momentary and, and light. And he, I even mean, he though makes in reference, the moment, it feels like it's everything. And he makes reference to, to a transcendent encounter with the cosmic Christ. I mean, he. It's funny that the, that the people who talk the most about the Bible don't actually focus on these dimensions that are right there in the text. Um, so, I love that you pointed that out. It's as if the brain is like a guard dog, and it just it goes after anything that appears like it's a threat. You know what I mean? Our brains have this hyper vigilant. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't line up. That doesn't. And some truths are bigger, wider, deeper, transcend simply your logical, rational filters. Some things you know for sure, but trying to explain us them those things to us, you would sound like a babbling fool. Mm-hmm. But it's just so interesting to me how many times in the Bible for this person to get what they need to know, it's almost like you have to go around the brain. Right. And go to spirit, soul. There's this Hebrew word, nefesh, which means like the inner essence of the being, um, which is how it is for, I think of how many people I've interacted with over the years who they're like, I need to tell you the story. It's going to sound completely crazy. Mm. And then they tell a story about some <laughs> heightened state, some. I think I was awake, but it felt like I was dreaming. I was in a car accident. I'm sitting there in the car before the police get there. And in the, my pain and shock, I realize, fill in the blank. I mean, the amount of stories I've told where it wasn't like, and then I did step one, and then I did step, you know what I mean? Right. Then I did step two, right. and then I said, it it's, was a very It's la- probably actually very hard to put into words. It, it, it's always, and people generally say, I don't know. I just knew for sure that. Right. Or, um, man, everybody around me thought I was crazy, but I just knew. Yeah. And that's what's happening in that. 
I don't know, whatever chapter that is, when Peter has this trance. The trance yeah, twenty-two. and the sheet being lowered and all that, it all it brings him um, heightened states of consciousness and later stages of growth always lead to greater complexity and inclusion and freedom. Yes. I wanted and to, I want It's always to... important across all traditions, across all spiritual, uh, genuine experiences of the expanding spirit as you encounter will always lead you to greater inclusion. Something that used to be pushed out now belongs complexity that you, you used to need it in much more nice, neat categories. And now you're, you got, you're at peace with greater complexity and then freedom. Uh, things that you used to be bound up in, you now experience a liberation. Right. And for Peter, this happened in a trance. And when he came out of the trance, he was asked to do something really big that would have some big social consequences right, for him. Right, right, right. Because for his tribe, you would never go in the house of somebody who was considered ceremonially unclean, basically not Jews or you couldn't go in the house of a Jew who was considered unclean according to the laws of the day that the religious establishment had sort of inter how they'd interpreted their own text. And he has this trance in which he's like, oh, I'm supposed to go into the house of a Roman. So he has this moment where he's crossing the threshold of a right, Roman's it's, house. It's going to cost him something. And he even says to them, you know, in my tradition, I'm not allowed to come into your house. But, <laughs> but... Because the only way he's going but to be now, able to explain to all the people around him is, okay, this is going to sound really weird. Yeah. But I had this dream-like trance. I don't know if it was a dream or a trance. I don't know if I was here. I don't know if I was... Yeah. And, and also the, the details in the Bible are, it has something to do with food. Like he's up there, he's, he's going to eat. So you even like he, low blood sugar. <laughs> he's up on a roof in a hot sun with low blood sugar. Right. But how many people now are going to think, okay, you're crazy? Like how many... Oh, Right. Right, right, right. How many friends is he going to lose? How many right. family members are now going to think he's crazy? Right, right. Like, and when you read the early church stories in the New Testament, I mean, the dominant question is, who is my family? Because of how many people this new awareness was causing division within their blood family. But you also, who, who, who belongs, who's included, is a massive question at the heart right, of the movement. Right, This and is in, a huge step of inclusion. And in every case, the movement is always into greater inclusion. Are they okay? There's the Ethiopian eunuch. Can he be baptized? Yep. How about so-and-so? Yep. How about them? Yes. What about them? Uh-huh. Um, it's always to greater inclusion. And his disruption leads him... First off, he resists it at first in the name of his religion. So this is why if a religion doesn't have built-in evolving mechanisms, if it isn't adaptive, and it's in trouble anyway. But, um, oh yeah, there's so that story, that's, there's so well, much you, in that story about 2017 and what it means to listen. Right, you talk about this being a disruption and... Mm -hmm. Lots of things can be a disruption. It doesn't have to be some altered state. Oh, right, right, right. Um, like I would even go back to uh, Richard kind of bringing this vision for you. Like there's a whole different way to read the Bible oh, here. Oh, yeah. That yeah, was a disruption. Yeah, yeah it was. And um, you 
mentioned here that disruption always leads to greater yeah. freedom, inclusion, and complexity. And so I would say way back then, Richard's disruption is what led to... It just felt like a an unending... Well, even as you just said that, I started thinking about you and I and how we, the disruptions never stop. Yeah, I mean, I guess I shouldn't even mark it from that point. Because, no, no, I think it's, that's totally legit. Um, well, but I think that's what life brings us. Like, yeah. life is always bringing disruptions. And we can choose whether we... Like, Peter had a choice here. Dig in your heels, yeah. entrench, calcify. Or, or, or like... You let it break you open. Expand, get a little courage. Make you a little more flexible and um, more limber. Decide yeah. to take on some discomfort, which yeah, it will probably come with always, discomfort. Always, always, always. And trust that in the freedom, in the inclusion, in the complexity, there's always greater joy. Think about how many, like I named that one at the beginning of this book, but think about like how many things you and I have encountered, how many disruptions where we were like, oh my word, this is another one of those. But would you agree that it always brings greater joy? Long term, for absolutely for sure. Yes. In the moment, you're like, what is this? Oh my, not again. <laughs> yeah. Um, things are spinning. Up, not, up is no longer up and down is no longer down. Yeah, and th and then oh, absolutely, one thousand percent, always, always, eventually, as you sort of you know orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Yeah, the reorientation always brings with it greater joy. And I, th I actually think that's like a muscle. You and I have talked about. You get better at it. You get better at oh, this is a disruption. Okay, we're about to go through disorientation. We're about to have conversations like, what the, f what is, huh? Anger, rage, frustration, overwhelmed. And we just now know, like, to let each other, to, like, have that space, to just be, just let that be whatever it is, get it out of the system. And then eventually, the river will be a river again, the mountain will be a mountain again. Right. That's how it works. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, those were the four chapters I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Oh, my lady, you're good at this. Well, it's pretty that's, easy to talk to you. Oh, <laughs> I love you so much. Yeah. That's not a bad Well, it's funny. When I first had the idea of interviewing you, I thought, how do I do this authentically? Like, <laughs> like right. am I coming up with questions that I've never talked to you about? <laughs> right, like, right. Like we haven't talked about everything. So, Robert, right. in Chapter 7, yeah. Well, thank you. But this is great because I'm... You got me thinking I'm, about a bunch of I'm new things. I'm thrilled about your new book and it's, it's actually really helpful to me because I've had a conflicted history with the Bible yeah. and you've always been a constant source of helping me see it in a different light. And whenever you tell one of your stories from the Bible, I think, oh yeah, that is a brilliant book. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's great. There's a there's a lot of um, goodness and and things that are really helpful and and it brings like a, a groundedness. 
Mm-hmm. Like I notice when you uh, do the events with Pete Holmes, you guys are such a fun combination. Um, but but one of the unique parts that you bring is you bring things back to a tradition. Um, you often base note. Yeah, you bring stories from the Bible, and they're amazing. I just especially in that setting. Yeah, right. I That's see, how I feel. I see the value of what you do and it's it's amazing that you've stuck with this book for I mean that first story, the Ehud story was 25 years ago, 24 years ago. Yeah, a long time. And you've stuck with this, the Bible the whole time. Like you have had that constant if you want to call it base note in your own life of you keep returning to this. Isn't that interesting? And it's obviously not everything. Like you you draw from everything in your life and everything in your experience. But um, I do think history is important. Mm-hmm. This is a historical book. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. There's power in that. And uh, lots and lots of people have found inspiration power, groundedness. Yeah, solidarity. I mean, even think about the Lord's Prayer or Psalm 23. Right. Like there's certain passages that people have been quoting for a very, very long time. Right, right. One of the things I was talking about on the bookstore tour was when you discover that this question that is like an ache in your side is a question people have been asking for 5,000 years. That solidarity alone can do wonders. Or when a, when a politician points out there's a widening gap between the rich and the poor, and this is not good for any of us. Oh, that's, that's straight from the Hebrew prophets. People have been pointing that out and calling that out and warning about that for 3,000 years. There, there is something that does to you. To you. Oh, I'm, I'm not, knowing you're not the first is like an incredibly important thing. Right. I, this is kind of funny to me, but it brings to mind a Bible verse. <laughs> <laughs> I love Hebrews 1, that you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Isn't that great? Even that, what an image. So throw off the things that are holding you back. Oh my word, you really do know and some And run. I haven't heard you quote Bible verses. With endurance. I mean, I think I'm paraphrasing. That's your version. It's the kitty version. Yeah. Yeah, but like surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Run with joy. That's like what I would say. It's a classic example of you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Oh, that's right. For thousands of years, human beings have had this sense that there are, that we're not alone. Right. And I'm even saying that cloud of witnesses in the sense like, Think of all the people who have right. come before us. Exactly. Who have exactly. read this same book that we're right. reading. Right. Who have struggled with all of the, the things and that we're struggling with. And somehow mystically we're all connected. Yes. Present in the present. Yes. And in the past. Yeah. Maybe even in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, even the, uh, even the idea that, uh, that you and I are embodied human beings, souls in this space-time continuum. The idea that there are conscious entities that may not be apparent to you and I. 
This is something humans have affirmed. Whether you call them angels, spirits, those who've gone before us, disembodied souls, whatever language. I mean, ghosts. Um, I mean, people have been witnessing to this for literally thousands of years. And that idea, cloud of witnesses, that alone. Oh, right, thank you. Turn the no, gem on that. No, actually, I'm going to look at the Bible that way. It's part of that cloud of witnesses. It's, it's something Absolutely. that connects me to the cloud of witnesses <laughs> so, and helps me throw off the things that hold me back and helps me run with joy. Done. There we go. Love you. Thank you. Love you. Grace and peace, everybody.